I think my biggest piece of advice that I love to share is just like, it's always about the people. Like it's never about the country. It's always about the people. So like, think about that first. Like we are community creatures, right? Like you're not going to Italy to just like eat pasta by yourself in a room. Like you're going to like be in the ambiance of Italy. So I always like to design my trips thinking about like, who I'm going to be around and like, who can I connect with? So that's the reason that I loved so many of my experiences living abroad or all of my experiences living abroad, because I was always like plugging into communities. So like in Zambia, I was working with farming cooperatives. So like I already knew I was going to be interacting with a ton of people and it was really great because we had a reason to interact. Family, you are listening to Concrete Pastures. I am Nancy Mulemwasisi. Being an immigrant has been one of the most challenging and extraordinary experiences of my life. It inspired me to create a platform to reach out to my fellow immigrants and dreamers. The goal is to provide a space for myself and others to share our stories as we deconstruct the world's view of immigrant status. We discuss issues that are important to us in the diaspora. We celebrate the joys, the laughs, the bravery that being an immigrant brings. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We appreciate your support. To all of our new listeners, welcome to the family. As you listen, please continue to support us by clicking the subscribe button. Leave us a review. We love hearing from you. Our guests love hearing from you. Please follow them on social media and let them know what resonated with you from their story. A huge shout out to FMG Radio for continuing to give us visibility on their platform and for continuing to support independent podcasters like myself. On today's podcast, I met our next guest on EPUB Travel Podcast by Travis Sherry. And I was intrigued with what she was sharing there. She had traveled to so many countries and she started while she was very young. I I was very excited. I wanted to bring her on and for her to share, to give us insight on how she did it. You know, we all love to travel. We live abroad and we all love traveling with a purpose. And she's here today to share with us on how she traveled with a purpose across the globe. Her name is Erica Hackman. She has been traveling across the globe since she was 20 and moved to Doha to finish her university. 
After that, she taught English in the Northeastern Thailand and South Korea. She continued living and learning abroad on a Caribbean island called St. Vincent, which led her to working with farming cooperatives in the rural Zambia, my home country. Since 2013, she's been working remotely for a well-known travel blog, nomadicmat.com. Over the years, she spent extended periods of time working from her laptop in Vietnam, Cambodia, Dubai, Costa Rica, the UK, South Africa, and Ghana. Currently, she is the director of Mad Travel Community, the Nomadic Network, which connects travelers to people and resources that can get them traveling cheaper, longer, smarter, and more. Erica likes to say that traveling is about 90% of her personality and what she thinks has the capability of creating peace in the world. Please welcome my girl, Erica. Hi, my dear. How are you? Hello. I'm so happy to be here, Nancy. Thanks for inviting me. Oh my gosh. Finally happening. I've been looking forward to this. I I was having jitters yesterday and looking at everything. I was just like, oh my God, I can't wait to talk to her and for her to discuss all the countries she's been to. But I'm so happy. It's an order to have you here. But for starters, just want to, you know, give our listeners a, a little bit of insight of who you are, how you got to traveling to these countries. That's a big question. <laughs> <laughs> That deserves a big answer. (laughs) So, you know, this is girl talk, okay? I know. I feel like people listening, our audience. (laughs) That's true. That's true. Okay. So, the, the quickest or easiest way I usually tell my how I got into traveling story is I'm from Connecticut. Um, born and raised in America and never really wanted to leave until I got the opportunity to go on a free trip to Qatar when I was a junior in college. And I went just for two weeks and I was like, oh my God, this country is amazing and nobody knows about it. Like we're talking 2008, I was there. Like when I told my friends in America that I was going to Qatar, They had no clue what I was talking about. I had no clue what I was talking about. This was a country that was super tiny that not that many people had heard of in my sphere. And so when I got there, I was just blown away at the hospitality, the differences in culture. And I sort of just like fell in love with the world um, through that one experience. And so I was sort of set to go to Europe to study for my um, senior year in Europe. But I was like, you know what? (laughs) That's like the safe, safe bet. That's sort of what everyone does. And I found this country that I love that has my school's sister campus there. So I was like, why don't I just go to Qatar? And honestly, it was a simple decision for me but when I did tell people around me that, hey, I'm I'm gonna go live in Qatar for a for a semester, they were like, ah, 
ah, you're crazy. That's in the Middle East. That's totally way too dangerous. Like you're yeah. a young girl, like you should not be there. And I was like, you guys don't even know where this is. And I've already been there and I feel super safe. So like, let me use my own eyes, my own ears. Let me like, let me not just believe the hype around the Middle East and let me experience it for myself. I already have friends there. I already loved it there. So I ended up spending a semester there, loved it so much that I stayed the whole year living in Doha, Qatar. Well, really education city, but it's like the capital of Qatar. Um, And then when I was there, I was thinking, okay, well, interior design is not my thing. I am literally having an adventure right now and this is my thing. So how can I keep traveling? How can I keep like immersing myself in different cultures? This is definitely where my heart sings. So I ended up um, on a week long trip in Cambodia from Qatar, just like a spring break trip. Before you went to Cambodia, at- how was the, how did you adjust to the culture in, um, in Cambodia? In, um, Qatar. Oh, in Qatar? Honestly, there's a lot of, expats there's a lot of immigrants there's a lot of people that are not qatari actually there's very few people that are qatari (laughs) that live in qatar just because it's a very tiny population um and it's a growing country a growing um economy so they have a lot of people flying in and settling there um but yeah i feel like i feel like it wasn't that hard, honestly, to assimilate into getting to a point where people felt like I was respectful enough, but it's not like I could consider myself Qatari or Middle Eastern. I was just there to soak in all the knowledge. I would not call myself like, oh, I'm Qatari after like one year. Not possible. (laughs) I was just like there with an open mind, experiencing everything I could possibly experience. Um, while I was a student there and honestly it was cool because um, the just in I'll say like a sweeping statement the Middle East is very like family oriented right they're all about family cousins extended family parents like very strong ties and so when they heard that I was there they were like oh what does your family do why did you move here to Qatar and I said no I'm a student living in the dorms and they're like, wait, what? Your family's not here? Your parents aren't here? Your siblings aren't here? Your family list? Okay, okay. You just come with us. You can be in our family. So like all my friends that had been friends for like since they were kids, they weren't going to each other's families events they weren't going to each other's families weddings and stuff but they invited me as like the poor girl without her family here so like here erica come as like the extra sister to this wedding or the extra sister to like our friday family day or the extra sister to whatever and so i had a lot of friends that just their whole families embraced me and it was it was honestly life-changing just that whole experience yeah it was beautiful that's really cool that's really cool yeah and obviously it's a muslim country and there are a lot more rules than i had growing up in america and i just respected them 
So sometimes I make mistakes. For anybody visiting, just for the sake of the uh, listeners, sure. it, it's mandatory for someone who goes to Qatar to follow their rules. Oh yeah, but they're not that hard, you know. So and they're not all very strict rules. Some of them are just cultural rules. So yeah, you could let's say wear a little mini dress. I'm, I think, but I wouldn't have, you know, like just because you don't you don't want to disrespect a culture that you're obviously a guest in. Yeah, <laughs> by, like, sort of breaking the social norms because yeah. that's not what happens there. They're all very close. Also, it's really cold because everything's super over air conditioned. So you would never want to do that anyway. <laughs> um, but that's one thing. And then there's also a lot of like different ways to kiss people on the cheeks, like different ways to say hello, I guess would be and who to say hello to and who to kiss on the cheek. And depending on what country they're from in the Middle East, it's a different cadence to the kissing of the cheeks. <laughs> so, wow. That yeah. is, wow. Okay. And then like during Ramadan, you're not allowed to eat or drink in public. So uh, you have to hide eating and drinking if you're not Muslim. So you yeah, have to go into your own house or, you know, I lived on a campus. So there was like one dining hall that was still open for the non-Muslim people. And so just like respecting things like that was yeah. important. So it's not like, I mean, I'm sure there are rules if you look up before you visit the Qatar, there are probably like a few rules that you should have yeah. to drink. Like you can't drink alcohol very many places. It's usually just in the hotels. I'm not sure how much that has changed uh, recently, but it used to be just in the hotels, just for foreigners. So, and that wasn't that many places. Like when I was there, I feel like that was like 10 bars. <laughs> it was not that many places. Oh my goodness. Wow. No, it's, it's good to know because for uh, so, somebody who might not do like in-depth research and they just think, oh, Qatar is, uh, is great. I would love to go there. But you're giving a lot of great insight on what to actually look out for. Mm -hmm. And you want to be respectful. You're going, it's like going to someone's house. You're going into their country and you want to be able to, yeah. um, to be respectful. No, that's good. Thanks for sharing that. Oh, love that. How many countries have you been to overall? Have you been able to count them? I think over 40. I, I'm i not sure. Which one is your favorite? <laughs> Would you pick like, this is my favorite? Don't be biased. I know um, Don't be biased. Yeah. Based I on the experience to, you've had. I have to say that. Yeah, based on the experience that I've had, I usually say St. Vincent and the Grenadines just okay. because, I mean, it's a Caribbean island that I used to live on. And I feel like the experience I had in St. Vincent really, um, really got me connected to nature in a way that I had never felt before. Um, and it was the first time I felt like, wow, I could eat fruit from the trees here and I could garden and I could do all this stuff that made me feel so like connected to the earth and so healthy and so like a part of this ecosystem that like I love the life there and 
it was just such a beautiful experience. So would I want to live there for the rest of my life? I don't think so. But would I like to spend another few years there? Why not? I really liked, I really enjoyed it. So, but I, I like to add the caveat that I really have loved every single place that I've lived. And so I've lived in Qatar, Thailand, St. Vincent and the Grenadines, Zambia, and South Korea. So I've loved all of those places. And most recently, I spent a lot of time in living in Ghana. And so I've loved all of those places. Otherwise, I wouldn't have stayed as long as I stayed in any of those places. So, I mean, the thing is, when when we travel... We learn so much through our traveling. We're exposed to things that we may otherwise not be exposed to in our own countries. Uh, based mm-hmm. on how we are being raised also. Because sometimes some of these things are in our countries, but we're not exposed to them. Right. Because of how we, we are raised. But when you travel, you expose yourself to those things and you're like, oh my God, this is so amazing. Yeah. And something simple as gardening that opens you up to something like, oh my God, this is really good. Yeah, I want to bring you up to Zambia. How was your experience? That's my home country for anybody who doesn't know who's new to podcasting to Concrete Pasture. How was your experience in Zambia and how did you get to go? Because I always wondered. Yeah, honestly, I, I didn't even know I was going to Zambia except for a few months before. Um, I was Googling when I was 23 years old, I was Googling how to get to Africa for free. <laughs> I should have been Googling that, how to get to America for free. Okay, I should have been I mean, it's, it's, I was just, I was trying to research. Like I had this dream of getting to that continent. I had seen a beautiful display of African drumming and dance that just stuck with me for years and I was like I want to experience this in real life and so I was on this journey of just living in other countries and so I thought like okay now's the time like how to get to Africa for free here I am like a you know recent college grad with like no money and I wanted to do something meaningful, but I also wanted to live somewhere in Africa. So I found this, I found this very strange school that was based in St. Vincent. And they said, if you come to this island, you've never heard of in the Caribbean, we'll send you somewhere in sub-Saharan Africa for six months to do a community project. And so I said, all right, it wasn't free. But it was pretty close. The whole 14-month experience, including six months in Zambia, cost me about $5,000. So it was... And that was like room, board, food, everything. Yeah. And tickets. So it was a very cheap experience. But also we... Like I was working the whole time. Like it was to... So on St. Vincent, St. Vincent is like a very like garden farming 
kind of culture. And so yeah. we were working in the fields and working on gardens and counting our rainwater or capturing our rainwater, counting how much water we were using each day per person. Like it was a very like natural habitat. And we were um, preparing ourselves to live in different parts of Sub-Saharan Africa. We didn't know what kind of life we were going to live. So honestly, mm-hmm. when my friend and I got sent to Zambia, we were sent to Endola to work with this farming club headquarters. So like we knew we were going to go work with farmers, sustenance farmers that were gathering to learn more about like better practices from the extension officers that were put in the field. And so we thought, okay, we're going to go farm in Zambia. We're going to go work with farming cooperatives. Great. But when we arrived, they put us in Andola in this like grandiose office building and not grandiose, but it was like a very beautiful sort of enclosed campus like structure where there, there were offices. Everyone was working in an office and we were asked to work in the office for farming cooper- for the farmer oh, wow. in Dola in Indola. oh wow and I have to say Indola was a cool city I mean as a 24 year old it would have been fun to live in Indola but that is like not the experience that we were expecting so yeah. we went into the field visited some farmers club clubs convinced one of them to like take us (laughs) into the fields, find us a place to live. And then we could work with just like a few farmers club for the rest of our time. So, so that's what we did. And we lived in Makushi, Zambia, which is, well, it was outside of Makushi in this place called Inkalonga. And it was like 24 kilometers from Makushi. That was the biggest place over there town. And we lived with a family of about 30, 35 oh, wow. people. Nice. It was a lot of people because they had, a, I want, if I'm remembering correctly, it was like the grandparents had 11 children and then <laughs> all of them had kids. <laughs> and almost everyone lived on, like in Spider's village. Spider was the grandfather of the village. So it was just a few different houses. Yeah. And we were renting one of the houses from a brother that was actually, yeah, he's a very entrepreneurial guy. And he was renting us his, his house for $10 a month. And we were working with farming cooperatives there. Yeah. $10 a month. Yep. Wow. I know we're both living in New York City, so $10 a month sounds crazy. It is. It's also very crazy. But it's also, we didn't have running water. We didn't have electricity. We had well water. We had a latrine. We didn't have a shower. We just had, you know, posts that were covered and then we buckets to shower. So it was a very, like, it was a very rural experience, but it was also really cool really beautiful I'm glad you kind of experienced a little bit of my childhood <laughs> yeah yeah going imagine. to the well to go get water how was that like I used to love it to actually go because when I lived my, with my mom for a little bit before I lived with my grandmother we used to go to the well because the tap water would be 
you know, gone. Right. And then we would have to go to the well water, which is always there, but it has a different test. Yeah. <laughs> the well water was fine it was carrying the water that was really hard (laughs) did you learn how to carry it on your head i mean i yes i don't know i don't know if i could reenact that i i mean i get the premise i didn't do it enough to be like wow this feels like second nature it takes a lot of practice it takes a lot of practice i learned how to do it i can carry a whole bucket of water with not touching you just walk you just keep walking no yeah it's you you have to have a strong neck because it's all about your neck and how you can move your neck you know (laughs) i tried it a few times i believe that we used to if i remember correctly we would just like carry it and try not to spill it so we did it the total wrong way but i've done the head thing a few times it's really so it was the correct way in your own way (laughs) it was really hard practice yeah it was years for me to do that so yeah yeah how was the food we used the um what's that called that you swing to make the fire what do you mean there's like a tin little circular thing where you put the coals in and then you you swing it and you start the fire that oh, way. What's that called? Ay, ay, ay. Jeez. <laughs> I've been out I, of touch. In a, in, I have one of them. You do? I have one They're of them. They're good for barbecue. They are. And they smell great. It smells like Zambia when you light it up. I'm like, oh. Yeah, those are good though. They're really good. I can't think of the name right now. Like I'm blanking too. It's like on the tip of my tongue, but I can't really remember it. But how was the food? Did you get to cook any of the foods? Which foods do you remember? Because it's been a while. Oh, definitely Nshima. (laughs) Chibwabwa. Chibwabwa. We were vegetarians at the time, so we didn't eat any of the nkoko or anything like that. We were just eating a lot of vegetables. We had a lot of African eggplants, mm. you know, like the ones that look like eggs. Yes, yes. What were those called? They are, again, in Western province where I'm from, we don't eat them. Oh, okay. Yeah, I only learned of them when I came to live in the city because our markets they sell everything from right. all of the, the provinces really yeah so, i don't I remember the name of it I'm not we ate a that. ton of tomatoes a ton capinta like there was just a lot of the the cucumbers were like this big like this fat and yellow it was amazing like really cool stuff really yeah. different that's awesome that's awesome what was the results from you guys being there you were there for six months or a year i was there for six months i'm trying to find the name of this um anyway (laughs) i was there for six months and you know being a white person in zambia i definitely was hyper aware of wanting to like come in in this like white savior sort of thing and like oh we're going to like build a school in six months like that's not that's not sustainable that's not 
it's just there's a lot of things that I just didn't like about that situation. Mm-hmm. So when we were there and they were asking us, you know, to sit in the office, we said no, like we want to use our time here better. Yeah. Obviously, we're not farmers. We're we're not <laughs> we're not like better farmers than any farmer in Zambia. So it's not like we could come in and tell them what to do because they were already expert lifelong farmers that we were working with. Yeah. So we decided that one of the problems in the uh, organization that we were working with was just like the problem of organizing people. So we said, okay, well, if you put two white women in, you know, a small village, it'll probably generate a lot of interest to come to these farming clubs. So like, let's use that to our advantage and let's like revitalize these clubs that are already there that are just, they're just lacking some enthusiasm. So we were there and we, we worked with four clubs around where we were living that were all just like a bike ride away. And what our, what our purpose was, was to basically bring people together. Like the idea was to bring 50 farmers together and then have the extension officer from the government come and teach something like crop rotation or intercropping or how to take care of, you know, your onions if something happens to them. Because what was happening at the time was the extension officer was going from farm to farm one at a time. And he was in charge of like a thousand farmers. And so he barely got to see anyone. So we were just like gathering people so he could talk to 50 people at a time so that they could, you know, really get that information. Because also one of the things that we noticed was there's just such like a lack of communication in a place that doesn't, that doesn't have the internet that doesn't have a mail system. There's just like a lack of communication. You really just know what the people in your area know and want to tell you. There's no like, oh, let's go to the library and get a book on this. That just wasn't existing. So we were really just there to, again, revitalize these cooperatives that were already existing and that we knew we could, you know, revitalize them and then have them run on their own sustainably when we walked away in six months. And so that's what we did. We also went up and down the central um, province and, you know, collected some stories for the nonprofit that we were working with, some success stories, because they did a lot with, yeah, farmers, uh, small, like small business loan sort of things. They also did stuff with uh, livestock and yeah, just a lot of different ways they were trying to alleviate extreme poverty where they weren't in the cities, like outside of the cities. So it was a cool, it was a cool organization. I really love Zambia. I really love the people in Zambia. Like you're making me miss home. You actually just, uh, you touched on something that's really important for the people that are in the diaspora because a lot of us want to give back to our communities mm-hmm. back home, but it's the way we approach that. 
And I love how you guys approached it. It's like, we're not coming to save you. You guys are already uh, established as farmers. We're just here to just add some value in the way that we can. Where we see opportunities, we can add value in that area. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I love that because a lot of us in the diaspora, we want to invest back home and we want to be the saviors of the people that are already continuing to do it. And for those of us that are already out of the country for so long, for many years, we it's are hard. out of touch. Like whether we like it or not, it's really out of, we are out of touch. Unless we know, we, we go there like every year, every month, then we kind of know what you know, people are doing on the ground. I, I like what you guys did. That's really good because a lot of the people, when they see people come, they are apprehensive because it's just like, what are you coming to do for us? Yeah. And I mean, I I think that's, I think we started that, you know, (laughs) like, I don't think that's, I don't think that's a you problem. I think that's an us problem. And so I think the dynamic is not great. And I would add that one of the things I feel like has been the most helpful because obviously we live in, so now I'm in New York. I have significantly more resources than anyone else living with in Zambia. And like I told you, my heart, you know, there's a piece of my heart in Zambia. I loved it. It, Like that experience gave me so much um, just richness in my whole life. Like it meant so much to me that it, sort of sucks to come back to America and feel like, okay, well, I'm just like never gonna go back again. And Yeah, never gonna go back, never gonna make a kind of difference that like, I really felt like I wanted to make. And so one of the things that we've done is we stayed in contact with that one brother that rented his house. (laughs) Nice, nice. I mean, now some one of the other brothers who was nine just texted me and he's 18 now. I was like, oh my God, you're so big. Nine years. Yeah, I just sent him a ton of pictures of him from when he was nine years old. But that brother, that brother was super entrepreneurial and he demonstrated so much like passion and strength and know-how and like ingenuity that we were just like so moved by him and he was so humble and he was so wonderful that like you know my friend and I we were living there together in his house and um and we've stayed in touch with him and every once in a while he writes like we we message him and we say like what's happening what are you doing and while we were there he told us his dream was to be a teacher Mm. and so we sort of inquired like what would that take do you have what it takes to be a teacher like do you have the resources what does that take and so the year after we left we actually were able to fund him going to school it costs I think like $1,200 to send him to like three years of school to be a teacher and the program that he was in was to be a teacher in rural areas so like he had to serve in rural areas which I just felt like was doing him a good service but also like the areas that we wanted to make a difference in and so it's it's hard to find people that you really feel like wow this money is going to be put to great use but like sometimes it's worth investing in like one person that doesn't have the resources rather than sending your money to like unicef or something like that i completely agree 
I completely yeah. because you actually get to see the results and they hold themselves accountable. For somebody who who does something like that, it's like I'm going to hold myself accountable. I'm responsible for my community and I want to give back. Because you see the suffering around you. You see what opportunities that you can, you know, at least help in those areas. Mm-hmm. And for somebody who's willing to teach in rural areas, because even teachers, it's so hard because you get educated sometimes in the city and then they send mm-hmm. to rural areas. It's such an adjustment. Such an adjustment. to go through. So for somebody who's already in the rural areas and he wants to be in the community, it mm-hmm. helps a lot in a way and it serves the person that was you know supposed to be going there a trip or an adjustment so that's oh my god that's really good you guys did amazing i'm glad that you i mean it's it's so little like what i would love to do just i mean not just in zambia but yeah having all these experiences living in other countries like i would love to help so many more people but that is an that's an example I'm pretty proud of because yeah. it is it does feel like you know we saw something he stepped up completely did so much of the work on his own and then said listen like this is what I would need and that's where we came in so like I feel like that's uh, circumstantial like okay the resources just aren't there but everything else is there yeah and so like I want to help this person because I know this money I mean $1,200 is nothing to sneeze at it's a lot of money still but like I, this money I want to be put to good use I want it to be you know like a teach a man to fish sort of situation and yeah. so like, I think that's the goal because um, to teach people to how to fish is better than just continuously giving them fish and fish. They continue to come back because right. that's what ends up happening. They keep giving people fish and people keep continuing yeah. to be poor and they show those areas as to all these areas are very poor. Please continue to contribute. But you're not teaching people to fish. Yeah. Give them the nets. Give that, show them where the, the fish might be, and for for him to step up, that's really beautiful. That, that's yeah. um, amazing. It's a powerful story. I, I I applaud you guys for even contributing to his career. That's you, you've helped so many through him. That's really nice of you to say. <laughs> yeah, no, you've helped so many through him because he gets to help his family. He gets to help the whole community, educate other kids, and. He's paved the way. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I feel like Zambia was so eye-opening. Like, my time in Zambia was so eye-opening for me as, like, a 24, 25-year-old living there and just, you know, coming from America and not knowing much about Africa at all mm. and sort of going in with a lot of expectations and really being, for one, just, like, pleasantly surprised with how easy and kind and wonderful people were and like not to say that I was worried about that but it was just it was like a really easy place to get a to get around to meet people like it was really just it was a fun place to be um but also like having this whole perspective of like in America we're told like okay we have to like save 
save people in Africa or something like that. Like that's the message in here. That's the message. And like going there and being like, you know what? Well, like we created this problem and like, we also have to be the ones to stop it. (laughs) No, I'm I'm glad. It's it's not even you. I'm, I'm glad that you, um, you have you taking that ownership but it's not even from you it's just overall what america is teaching us and when even when i came here it was also like some type of a culture shock for me people being surprised that i speak english because of how they see my country and or your continent yeah or the continent as a whole it's just like you they view us as very backwards and it's saddens me in a way just like okay let's change the perspective of what Africans are and what we are capable of doing and this is also why I wanted to bring you on this way you could shed some light on what you know it's it's like to visit those countries and what could be done in a in a different way instead of how they are viewing the country as a whole it's just like it's, we have parts what areas for sure but as you help help with the understanding of uh having these people being independent not continuously giving them fish yeah and just making sure that the education is there yeah like i feel like that was one of my biggest takeaways was like wow education around the world needs to sort of step up and I'm not just saying in Zambia like also education in America needs to step up like we need to make sure that like people are having opportunities and that's you know that's through education I so my husband is Ghanaian and he always says like you know just let let people think what they want about Africans because you know we're 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 getting it done we're like doing the things and so if nobody is watching us like that's okay we'll just surprise them one day and they won't even know where it's coming from you know like so it's okay we don't need to be on everyone's radar we can just we can just quietly do our own thing (laughs) under nobody's like watchful eye and then when we come out and say like oh this is what we've been building Okay, like I love it. Be surprised. I love it. We're just sneaking it into that. It's just like okay, we've been doing this all along. Okay, (laughs) exactly, exactly. Talking about your hobby, uh, I know you've been to Ghana. Um, How was that experience? Yeah, Ghana's incredible. I've actually been twice. We spent two weeks there before the pandemic, and then three months there during the pandemic. Um, So unfortunately, like it was during the pandemic. And so we couldn't really experience a ton of what Ghana has to offer because we were a bit scared of disease. (laughs) Of course. But, you know, life there uh, was really nice. It was really slow. It was really hot. Um, over by the equator and it was just like just like I said about the Middle East in the beginning of this talk like very family centric Mm -hmm. uh, very much about like your cousins, aunts, uncles all that which I say that because I feel like we 
sort of lost that in America. And it's so refreshing to see it in other yeah. places. Like, I don't, I'm, you know, that's a general sweeping thing, but like, uh, yeah. I don't see a whole lot of families that are like so into every single cousin or every single aunt and making sure you see each other like all the time. It's usually just like a few holidays, holidays. throughout the year. <laughs> Yeah, it's the holidays. It's the holidays. I think it's also the lifestyle. But even back home, we make it a point mm-hmm. of like families. Like I lived around. I don't remember not living with cousins and yeah. Everybody was kind of like living. Even when I got to live with my mom, it was my aunts were there. My grandmother was constantly visiting. Uh, my cousins, of course. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's always family. Yeah, always, always. It was the same in Ghana. We were always visiting, you know, this relative or they were coming to visit. And it was a a very unique experience. And I look forward. Our plan is to go there for a few months each year. Just to make sure that we have a little one-year-old, one-and-a-half-year-old son. And we want to make sure that he feels Ghanaian. And that he also has the opportunity and I feel like you can you can relate to this Nancy but like in America it's a big melting pot salad bowl of people right yep but there's something special about like being around people that look and feel like your people and so (laughs) like I feel like yep yeah, I feel like uh, I want I want my husband to be in that situation yearly, and I want my son to be in that situation yearly. Like I want that to be like a core. You're so sweet. We, yeah, we and it's not my idea. Like this is not my credit. Like it's just what I've heard from my husband's story is like a lot of his confidence and a lot of what he's experienced growing up was built while he was living in Ghana as a Ghanaian and so like I want to make sure that our son has the choice or has the opportunity to sort of like learn some of that the thing is we have this opportunity with our kids for them to experience both worlds and appreciate and get to choose once they're like grown, get to choose. Oh, I want to go live in Ghana. Right. I don't want to live in America anymore. And my kids have that luxury to either go live in Ukraine if one day if this war finishes and then or in Zambia. They have yeah. that opportunity. So like, okay, I can oh live in America as a whole. But at least when once we expose them to all of these worlds, they're able to appreciate and learn and learn also different cultures. Yeah. We have like Zambia has seventy three dialects. <laughs> oh have, I know. <laughs> <laughs> we have all of these cultures and oh my goodness. Yeah. Like I can't yes. wait to take my kids. For them just to be exposed to all the beauty, just to learn some of the things that them, you know, I might, I'm not going to be able to teach them everything. Mm-hmm. I'm not. But you know, just opening their eyes. I mean, my family, my father's from Russia. He was born in Iran. My mom is Italian and Irish, and both of her parents were born in America. Oh wow! And I visited Ireland once, and I visited Italy once (laughs) and I've never been to Russia or Iran 
And honestly, I feel like there's a lack of understanding there. A lot, like even within my family, like there's a lack of understanding with where we came from and all that stuff. And that's not, that's not the kind of family that I want to raise being like a very intentionally um, multicultural family, you know, especially when you're talking about, uh, you know, marrying someone that looks so different than you, like you're thrusted into this multicultural thing. You know, my parents sort of got away with it because they're both white and we ended up white, but now we, my husband is black, my son is mixed. And so like, this is going to be at the forefront of so many conversations as we walk through this life together. So I want him to feel like he knows what he's talking about and it's important. It is. It it is important. I wanted to touch into your job. What do you do, my dear? Okay. And how people, I just wanted to share on how people people can travel because immigrants love to travel and we want to travel cheap. We want to travel well with a purpose. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah of course. So what you do and how we can get to be on Nomadic. Okay. So I've been working for nine years now with this guy, Nomadic Matt, who's a big budget travel blogger. He teaches people how to sort of do the more local things as they go around the world. So shop at grocery stores, use public transportation, stay for longer periods of time so that um, so that vacations aren't just reserved for like super wealthy people. And so that's the that's the whole idea of nomadicmat.com. And this guy's been to over 100 countries. He's gone all over for the last 15 years and he's a great writer. He's written many books. He actually has a New York Times best-selling book called How to Travel the World on $50 a Day, which may sound like a lot of money, but $50 a day is actually just above $18,000 a year. And if you're living in New York City, you're definitely paying more than that in rent and you're just staying in one place. So this is like to travel the world for that price is like sort of a crazy idea, but it's doable. And what I do with the company now is I run our whole community arm. So it's called the Nomadic Network. And we basically connect people to other people and resources that can have them traveling cheaper, better, longer, and more. And so we have chapters all over the U.S., a few outside of the U.S., but um, they meet about monthly to just connect travelers together. And then we also have virtual events where we have people come on and share about a different way that they traveled. So, or a different place that they traveled just to like open up our, the community members' minds to like different ways to do things. So maybe we'll have somebody that climbed Mount Kilimanjaro or lived for Zambia in a year or, or lived in Zambia for a year, or they have backpacked around the world for two years, or, you know, they, they are in a wheelchair and they've traveled to 30 countries. Like, how did they do that? And so it's, it's informational and inspirational. And that's all at the nomadic network.com. And it's free to join. It's all just like 
join the community and you can learn all sorts of things. So it's a really cool job that I sort of fell into right when I came back from living abroad for five or six years. No, um, I, I, I like it. This is yeah. really good because a lot of the things, a lot of the issues, some of the issues that we have is we travel to these countries. Let's say you come to the U.S., Sometimes it's hard to have that budget. Mm-hmm. I want to travel to go visit back home. And uh, you're thinking of so many things that you have to do. Or even travel for holiday, for vacation somewhere. You're so restricted because you're trying to save every penny. It's expensive uh, to go to Mexico. But if you join the community, you get to find to talk to people that have gone to Mexico a million times for maybe a thousand dollars for two yeah. weeks, uh, for maybe five hundred dollars for two weeks. You find out how they did it, and this way you're not so uh, restricted to yeah. your travel. And because mental health is huge for me. Mm-hmm. Being on a grind constantly, you get to burn out. Just like you burn out on anything, you get to burn out being a parent, working, and just being you sometimes can be burned yeah. You can burn out. So taking some time out into our grind as immigrants, it helps a lot. It gives you that break. I really wanted you to like explain and give people this website but I'm just like oh my god when I went to one of the meetings I met so many amazing people that have traveled everywhere oh, all over the place and some of them are actually now um, following them on Instagram and I see I'm like oh <laughs> well the idea is so simple it's crazy like you know we're in New York City right and people that come to visit New York City spend all their money Like it's so expensive, right? If you're going out to eat three meals a day, you're going to a play, you're going to this attraction to the one world trade center, top, top of the, whatever they call that to the top of the rock, to the ice skating around Rockefeller center. Like that's crazy expensive. Yeah. But you also think about it. Like New York city is filled filled with people that are working waitressing jobs and trying to make it as actors filled so like there has to be stuff in new york city that caters to those people (laughs) like not everything is like a tourist attraction there's so many locals living here living a life on a budget so like what can you like how can you experience New York City on a budget is the same thing that you could do in Guatemala in you know Mexico in London whatever there's always people just living a normal life so like how could you do that and see that as a travel experience right not that you never have to go to a restaurant but like the idea is that maybe you go to one restaurant and then the next five meals you sort of make in your airbnb apartment right yeah but you're like just using your money better so that you could travel like i said cheaper longer smarter all that sort of stuff do they also give like tips uh, about airlines? Because that's mostly what I worry about. I worry about airlines. Mm-hmm. Like I wanted to go to Europe. There was this website that somebody had given me. I forgot what it was, but it catered to like a boutique hotel um, 
and then the airline so you get to visit italy france and um i think venice some, somewhere like three cities or you could start with london uh paris and then italy um, yeah, I mean, it definitely we definitely have a ton of airline tips. I would say that if you're listening and you're living in America and you're debt-free and you're able to get credit cards, that's the best way to get free airline tickets is through points. <laughs> oh, that's true. America is like pretty unique. There's also some it's called travel hacking, but there's some travel hacking that's done in Canada, Australia, and New Zealand, and a few places in Europe. But it's a pretty American phenomenon to be able to earn so many points travel hacking that you can go places for free. The last time that we went to Ghana, I think our tickets cost us about $200 a person because we used all of our points. So nice. we, just paid a, we just paid some taxes and fees and flew direct from direct from D.C. So we had to get to D.C. <laughs> but That's it was not bad. Cool. Still. No, it's not bad. It's not That's bad. Not I'm not bad. complaining. I, I wouldn't mind. <laughs> I'm not complaining. <laughs> How long does it take you to get to Zambia from here? 19 hours about. And where do you usually have to stop? It's a 24-hour flight, I'll be honest. Because if you start from here, I, I last time I traveled, I went to Dubai and then Dubai to Zambia. Oh, okay. That's one yeah. stop. Not terrible. Yeah. But then um, before I used to go through South African Airlines. Mm. So it's here, South Africa, and then Zambia, which yeah. was, I think, better for me. It felt so far to be in Dubai to yeah. Zambia. It, <laughs> it really did. <laughs> Probably I was just... I had a sense of agency. My mom was not well, so I I was in a rush to get that home. That makes sense. Yeah. So I thought, I thought the trip was very long, very long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But even rights was good. It, it, it's good. I I, I recommend it's, it's not bad at all, but it felt so long to get home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wish I'm praying for a direct flight from here to Zambia. One day. One day, one day, one day. What would you like to share with uh, with anybody who's looking to travel? Like, what advice do you have for anybody? Because we restrict ourselves as immigrants where we can go. A lot of dreamers out there listening to this show, dreaming to go places. What advice would you give them? I think my biggest piece of advice that I love to share is just like, it's always about the people. Like, it's never about the country. It's always about the people. So, like, think about that first. Like, we are community creatures, right? Like, you're not going to Italy to just, like, eat pasta by yourself in a room. Like, you're going to, like, be in the ambiance of Italy. So, I always like to design my trips thinking about, like, who I'm going to be around and, like, who can I connect with? So that's the reason that I loved so many of my experiences living abroad or all of my experiences living abroad because I was always like plugging into communities. So like in Zambia, I was working with farming cooperatives. So like I already knew I was going to be interacting with a ton of people and it was 
really great because we had a reason to interact. In Qatar, I was a student. So all these students in my class were friends, were my friends, you know? <laughs> and so I had like an instant community. In South Korea, I taught English. So I was immediately friends with all the other English teachers. When I was in Thailand, I also taught English. So I was immediately in that. When I was in South uh, St. Vincent and the Grenadines, I was in like a school setting. So I, I was just plugging into communities. And if you're going on a trip that's not as long, like you're going for a week or two weeks or some, something yeah. like that, I strongly suggest like taking a cooking class the first day. Or doing something where you'll like probably meet some people. I mean, I also have traveled extensively on a budget. So I've stayed in a lot of hostels and I really love hostels. And maybe that's not like, you know, your thing. Maybe you don't want to stay in a hostel, even though some of them are super nice nowadays and you could get your own room and own bathroom, but maybe that's not your thing. Own I room and own bathroom. I can do Own that. room and own bathroom. We actually just did a whole very like a guide to Europe's hostels and these places looked so nice yeah, um, no, on the nomadic like network cow, but cheaper <laughs> yeah exactly but also very community oriented so if you yeah. don't want to stay in a hostel they usually have tours and comedy nights and things for like travelers and that's where you can make friends even if you're not staying at a place yeah. if they have like a bar or common room area they usually let people that aren't staying in the hostel come and so i would take advantage of that just to like meet some other people so that you feel like you're understanding it better even if you're meeting travelers those travelers could tell you hey like oh you're we stayed in hostels in zambia by the way <laughs> somewhat like when we were passing through lusaka but even though we were meeting just travelers we were asking them like what have you done in zambia where what did you, you stay in zambia <laughs> okay so i can't tell you the name because i forget the exact name but It was something like two bunnies because there were two bunnies in the hostel that were just hopping around. But we used to stay at that one hostel every time we passed through Lusaka, which was probably like five or six times. So it was a it was a really cool experience. I loved it. Had a big like tiki looking bar outside and a lot of just like cool people around. Yeah. yeah. Nice, nice. Oh my gosh. No, that's so really good. Huh? Community first. Think about your community when you travel. Definitely, definitely. How can people find you? Instagram, Erica.hackman, E-R-I-C-A dot H-A-C-K-M-A-N. And by joining the Nomadic Network, I'm super active there. <laughs> I yeah. run I help run the network with Matt, so I'm in there all the time. You can private message me, but it's thenomadicnetwork.com and it's free to join and I would love to see you in there. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> um, my last question, I know you have inspiration. One of the things that I love about you is your five, I don't know, five, five, two. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you got it right. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm uh, I'm uh, striving for that. Yes. When I grow up, that's my. <laughs> so for anybody who doesn't know, Erica lives 
five months in the U.S., right? Okay, wait, wait, wait. So this is our goal. This is not what we do yet. Right yeah. now we're at like a, a nine, three or a 10, two. So basically my husband and I, when we were first dating, we were talking about where we wanted to live. And I love to travel, but from this conversation, you probably gathered that I really love to live other places. <laughs> yes. I do. Like, I love having that community. I love making friends and I don't love leaving my friends thinking like, I will never see you again, probably, you know? So like, I really want, and I've always had this idea since I started living in other places that like, I would have like a few home bases when I grew, when I grew up. (laughs) And so, uh, our, our plan that we sort of conceived on the second or third or fourth date um, was that we would live like this five five two lifestyle where we would live five months in New York in a crazy hectic environment city like environment five months in California where we would sort of have the laid back suburban five months of the year and then two months in Ghana just really slow really quiet family time you're gradually like getting into the the slow quiet so from here California California Ghana it's just Well, the idea is that I don't... That's what I'm thriving for. Yeah, you don't really want to be, like, hectic all the time. And you really don't want to be, like, slow all the time. So the idea is to sort of cycle that through each year and feel like you have part of the year to be crazy, part of the year to be, like, calm. I think it's a balance. And then slow. Yeah. I I think it's balanced out. I was was saying the same thing when I heard you say it. I was like, oh, my God. I would do five months in America and five months somewhere else and five months in South Africa I, I want to be and then two months in Zambia yeah 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 so this way Let's my family do it. Don't, don't miss me too much and like okay two months I'm here guys and then my five months in, in SA and five months in the hectic New York amazing <laughs> yeah 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 I mean it's hectic but it's magical I just don't it want I just don't want it 12 months a year for the rest of my life. Yeah, no, it's very magical. Um, I love it. I I, I don't think I would be anywhere else. I, yeah. I love it. Like my whole experience of being an immigrant has been amazing because of the city that I live in. Yeah. Um, what, what drives you? What motivates you? What drives me? Honestly, connection. I was just having this discussion yesterday. It's like, I love connecting with people. I think the world needs so much more connection. I sort of feel like the otherness that we place on people, like the different, oh, you're different than me. Oh, you're other than me. Oh, you don't look like me. You don't speak like me. You don't talk like me. You must be different is the thing that is at the core of all of the wars happening right now. So the more connections, the more networks, the more, you know, I know you and you're this person's friend and, oh, you're from the country that I visited and I really like those people. So like, you must be cool too. Like those kind of connections, I think, are what's going to create world peace. So like, I honestly really believe in... I love traveling because I think it expedites that process, but you could build the same kind of connections in your own town, in your own area, in your own country, but just like with the idea that like 
learning about people has this like beautiful way of making you like trust and understand people better. And like, it really forces you to question when somebody says something that sounds like not that great. You know, when I was, when I was uh, 18 or sorry, 20 and trying to go to Qatar and people were saying like, Oh, you're going to be, you're going to be treated so poorly there. And I was like, you know what? Like I've been there. That's not true. (laughs) Like I was fine there. And so like, it makes you sort of question, um, you know, what people are saying to you and what you take to heart and what you think, okay, maybe they just don't, maybe they haven't experienced a good enough connection yet. It's exactly that. It's exactly that. Like people don't really know. They just assume there's a lot of assumptions and uh, without knowing really what it's like. It's, 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 if you haven't been there, like, how would you know? Yeah. There's no, there's no movies being made about Qatar 15 years ago. They don't know. I mean, people yeah. know about America because we have Hollywood out the wazoo, but of like, course. there's nothing being made. Like, are there movies, big blockbuster movies being made about life in Zambia? I don't think so. <laughs> are they? I mean, not. now they kind of, they kind of, but not as at the scale of, you know, Nollywood, let's say like Nigeria. Right. Uh, but Zambia or oh, South Africa, it's, it's not this at the scale of that. So Zambia, so, we're just coming up because, you know. Yeah, so people just, they wouldn't know. And it's not necessarily their fault, but also like, should we be seeking sort of like answers? Yeah, probably as humankind, we should be like, if we don't understand something, we should try to understand it. Like try to meet somebody. I was so excited when you reached out to me because honestly, Zambia made such an impact on me, but I have only met four people in the last (laughs) 10 years that said that they are from Zambia now living in America. Like I have not had the kind of connections yeah. with the with people that are Zambian that I thought that I would like immediately in New York thinking yeah. oh, oh this is like a melting pot of so many people you know I I'm curious I ask where everyone's from and you're the fourth in 10 years that I've met from Zambia and it just lit lit my heart up to know like just to so be you able to my heart up. with you <laughs> my heart up as soon as I found out that you went to my home country and I really wanted to speak to you because I there are people out there that I want to go to African countries and sometimes they want to just know the experience of what it's like of what you experienced through your eyes mm-hmm. and you are different from the people that are there. Mm-hmm. So what was your experience? Because me talking about it, they might not really get it. It's like, okay, you have this biasness of, you know, you're from Zambia. Yeah. But from you coming from here and or someone from Europe going to Zambia, mm-hmm. trying to do the same uh, goodwill, let's say, um, at least they get a better understanding of, oh, okay, it's not even that bad and how to go about it. Yeah. We're not going to serve anybody. We're really going to work with people. Right. And give, find opportunities where we can, but ultimately it's, this is theirs. Yeah. 
Yeah. Zambia is a really cool place. You should feel very lucky that you're from there. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I do. I do. I'm Zambian first and African and then American. So. Mm-hmm. Got it. <laughs> I always, yeah, I always do. I, I'm always describing myself that way. But I appreciate you for being here. I can talk to you for days. You and I are girlfriends forever. I know. <laughs> <laughs> for anybody who is looking to move for a short period of time anywhere out, you know, in Africa or even Zambia where Erica has been. Or if you're looking to travel, feel free to join the Nomadic uh, Network. network. This is nomadic.com? Thenomadicnetwork.com. The nomadicnetwork.com. I know, it's a bit of a mouthful. Once we post the episode, I'll have it in the show notes this week. You just click away and you are there. And the membership is completely free. You get Mm -hmm. a lot of insights on how to travel cheap with no expenses. Yeah, and also if anyone is... If anyone is curious or wants to brainstorm, I love brainstorming ways that yeah. you could get overseas for cheap or free or, I mean, free is hard these days, but like for, for cheap cheaper. is we'll easier. And so if you want to just message me on the nomadic network or on Instagram, <laughs> I'm happy to have that conversation with you. It's like one of my favorite things to do. So Yay. feel free to reach out. Thank you, my dear. Thank you for being here. I appreciate you. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much, Nancy. You're the best. Thank you, honey. That's it for this episode. Thank you again for lending us your ears. It's truly an honor to save each and every dreamer. You can continue to support us by liking sharing and following us on our social media pages the links are all in the show notes we have so many exciting projects adventures in store for you until next time keep dreaming